Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Hey, this is Mike Berland from Decode M. And if you want to learn how to maximize your professional relationships, you should be listening to the Build Your Network podcast with my good friend, Travis Chappell. Welcome to the show. I'm Travis Chappell, and I chat with some of the world's top business influencers, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs in order to crack the code of networking. I believe that who you know is more important than what you know, and that your relationships ultimately determine the person that you become. So if you want to learn the new way of connecting, if you want to fill your network with quality people and skyrocket your results, then you're in the right place because this is the Build Your Network Podcast. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Build Your Network Podcast. I am your host, Travis Chapel. Today, I am chatting with Mike Berland. Mike is the founder and CEO of Decode M, an insights and analytics firm that decodes data into momentum for its clients. In a world that runs on data, Mike strongly believes that everything is knowable. You just have to know where to look. Throughout his career, he's represented prominent political figures, major companies, and social movements. And prior to funding Decode M, he was the CEO of the insights and analytics arm of Edelman Public Relations, Edelman Berland, and president of the research and political polling firm, Penn, Schoen, and Berlin. Guys, I can't wait for you to listen to this conversation that I have with Mike. We're going to do some really awesome things. But first, really quickly, if you are a seven-figure entrepreneur and you know that having a podcast would positively impact your brand and your business, whether that be creating credibility and authority in your field, um, getting conversations with the top people in your industry, building deeper relationships with your existing clients, whatever the reason may be, you know that you just need to have one. We just don't have the time or the team or the resources. Then let me and my team 
build out your podcast for you. That way you can focus on what you're good at, which is the content piece only, and then servicing your clients, running your business. And then we'll focus on what we're good at, which is building high quality, converting podcasts. So head over to travischapel.com slash make my podcast if that's something that you are interested in. Mike, what is up? Thank you so much for taking the time in these hectic, crazy times to jump on the show. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. And I'm sorry that it's so hectic. Let's see if we can chill it out. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. So this podcast is going to be released, I believe, April 22nd or so, somewhere in there. So we're about a month behind. So just for everybody listening, for context, we are in the midst of, and I don't know where we'll be at that point in a month from now. Hopefully everything will be better, but you never know. And I'm sure, Mike, you probably have some more insights into that in terms of what the data says. Wherever you are in the spectrum, uh, we are chatting right now. It is, let's see, March 25th. So we're right in the middle of all this quarantining stuff. Should we crystal ball it? Yeah, let's do it. What we think is going to happen. Okay, so it's a month from now. We will have been in quarantine for a month already, but we will have been out. I would say we're either in our first week out or we're preparing to get out because the the, um, coronavirus has been flattened. The financial uncertainty has replaced our health uncertainty, and we're, we're itching to restart and reignite our businesses. Hmm. I like that optimistic approach. That's for sure. And I I think that honestly could be very correct. I I think that uh, we're taking some really good, uh, making some really good strides with uh, progress on all fronts. So hopefully it will continue to flatline and go down in the weeks to come and we can get back to doing business as as usual, hopefully. The hoarding of toilet paper seemed to be uh, a little premature. And unnecessary. Yeah. And we didn't, and we didn't run out. People have missed a payment and they do not like the uncertainty of not being in control financially because at the end of the day, we feel that the more control we have over our finances, the more control we have in our life. And while health is a big uncertainty, we feel that we've dealt with the coronavirus. So the panic over the health issue of corona turns out to not be quite as bad as we thought, but the financial uh, insecurity just dominated our thoughts. Sure. Yeah. 100% definitely in that boat. Uh, So Mike, I want to chat a little bit about what you have done in your career, your story. So before we kind of get into what you're up to now, let's go back a ways and build some context for those listening. And let's go back, like I'm talking way back here, Mike. So let's go like 13, 14 year old Mike what are you up to? What do you enjoy? Are you still into data? Did you like school? What, what, was the, what were the big things for you back then? Uh, 13 to 14 year old Mike actually has, is looking at his life saying, I don't want to be dependent on my parents <laughs> and, 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 is, and is looking for ways to be independent. And, wow, already uh, having, at 13 or 14. Uh, my bar mitzvah was much more than a religious ceremony. It was, it was a symbolic moment of when I took control of my life. I changed my name from Michael Berland to Michael J. Berland. I switched schools and I put myself on a trajectory of I'm not going to do what other people tell me to do. I'm going to do what I think is right. And I, my momentum literally started at that moment and I knew it. Like, I don't know how many 13 year olds know when they're taking control of their life, but I had decided that both of my parents, who I love very much, were not did not see eye to eye with me and that I had to go my own way. Wow, that's crazy to have that kind of insight at 13. Why do you think that was the case? Um, 
I was very mature for my age and I also wanted independence. And I knew that in order to get financial independence, intellectual independence meant I was going to have to go my own way and be dependent only upon myself. I had, I was a good speaker. Hopefully I'm still a good speaker. I was good at, at writing. I had a little bit of an entrepreneurial spirit and I felt that I could take control of my life. I still, you know, talk to 45 year olds that have less certainty than your 13 year old self did. Do you think that that's something that was naturally baked into you? Or do you think it was cultivated in the way that you were raised, the environment that you grew up in? I had parents who let me make decisions from an early age. As a parent, I'm not sure I let my children make all those decisions, but they never told me what to do. So they mm -hmm. always, and, and, and it's a horrible freedom, like being told when to eat, when to clean up your room, when to do your homework, is actually a lot more effort than what my parents did, which they said, do what you want. And, mm -hmm. and so I had to make, I was forced to make choices. And because of those choices, I, I saw the consequences of my good decisions and I saw the consequences of my bad decisions and I got myself together. I wasn't, I wasn't perfect. I was definitely mischievous, but I was on a path. Sure. Sure. So, okay. So you switch high schools. You said you change your name a little, like you, you, you almost, you basically become an adult when you're 15 yeah. years old. Talk to me about how that affected your time in high school. Like, were you, you know, sucked into all the regular trappings of a high school student or were you totally already focused on what's happening past this? I loved my high school. I was that kid from the movie Risky Business. If you, if you remember that, you know, yeah, just yeah. trying to uh, get ahead a little bit, had a little wry smile might get in trouble with things that are above my age. But, sure. but, but I was mostly, um, at that point, I thought I wanted to be a politician. And so I was in student government, mm -hmm. I was writing for the school newspaper, and then I ran for class president junior year and I lost, and senior year I lost. And I'm like, hold on, I don't want to be a politician because politicians uh, lose. I, I want to be a kingmaker, not a king. And because gotcha. if the king gets killed or the king gets thrown over, you just move on to a new king. And so <laughs> at, that, at that moment, I decided to be a kingmaker. And that was a career that served me the rest of my life. And is that the attitude that you took into college then? What did you end up doing after high school? Did you skip college completely? No, I, I went to college. I wouldn't say, I, like, part of the issue with my parents letting me make my own choices is they didn't push me anyway. So I basically... I got into two schools and went to the one that was furthest away from them. And so, <laughs> which looking back, I, I would have rather, to, I should have gone to Michigan, but instead I went to Massachusetts. It, it was very functional for me. I, I, I knew exactly what I wanted. I found, a, I found a professor who became a wonderful mentor to me. And by the time, and I knew I wanted to be a kingmaker. So I was taking kingmaker classes, which at the time was, uh, sociology, which taught me how to be a political pollster. I took journalism classes, which taught me how to be a writer. And by the time I got to junior and senior year, I was basically applying my skills to different functions in the school. So hmm. I did the survey of the future class that was graduating to find out what their hope and aspirations were for the Alumni Association. I did the research to find out what food should be served in the cafeteria. So I was really applying my skills and spending my summers working in New York uh, as a political pollster. So I was very, I was always working towards a goal of 
complete independence. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is uh, the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Do you think you always had a affinity toward relying on data to answer, uh, to answer questions and solve problems? Uh, I think so. You know those musicians who they can hear something once and then they get onto a piano and they play it? Yeah. And you're like, how did you do that? And, and it just seems like so incredibly uh, difficult. I could look at a stack of data of 10,000 numbers and 10 numbers would jump off the page, you know, appear before me and I would know exactly what the data said. And I mm -hmm. had that from the time I was 17 years old. Okay, so this was definitely, definitely some form of a natural gift that you've honed over the years. 100%. Like I never, I never, every, at every stack of paper I see with numbers, I, a story comes into my head and I can start telling it. That's amazing. How important do you think it is for young people to be focused on a similar path? Meaning that they, meaning that, you know, there's a lot of talk, there seems to be people on, on either side of the fence, like do what you love and be passionate about what you do. And then there's this other side that's like, you know, you don't have to be passionate about what you do in order to like live a good life and live fulfilled. Do you kind of, do you have an opinion there? I have an opinion that um, the class that they don't teach at school is called introspection 101. Hmm. And I, and so many of the people who I've worked with or I've um, have worked for me, if they just had a little introspection in their life, to yeah. figure out what they like and what they're good at, it would have served them so well. And so that's that's where I come out. I don't, uh, everybody doesn't have to do the same thing and everybody doesn't have to know at 13 what they're gonna be. But if you don't take that time for a little introspection, 
you're going to be miserable your whole life because you're going to be searching for something that you should have just spent some time thinking about. Mm, yeah. <laughs> How small of a task that is that could have such a huge, huge impact on your life. Well, this is where school really lets you down. Because school is sequential, you, you know, you've got kids who go from school from four years old to 21, and they go to first grade, second grade, third grade, they go to freshman year, sophomore year, junior year, and then they get, they end senior year of college, and there's no track left. And they have no idea what to do. And yeah. so I, uh, and no matter how many times I tell the people I work with, or the people that work for me, hey, you can be anything. Age isn't relevant. Level's not relevant anymore. Your ability is going to take you as far as you can go. And the only person who sees your age is you. Hmm. Uh, and that's a very hard concept for people to grasp. And that's one of the real letdowns of school is that it trains them to go sequentially through life. And as we all know, there is no sequence. Yeah. So, okay. So for you getting kind of a little bit back into your story here. So you go to college, you're doing all this data driven stuff, being yeah. a pollster um, and getting experience doing that. What was it pretty, was it pretty like next step for you is when you graduated in, in terms of like, Oh, the, here's my dream job. Let me go here. Or was there a little bit of unknown in between those periods of time? I was interning for a political polling firm that was on the second floor of a walk-up on Third Avenue above a McDonald's okay. from the from my freshman year on. So, and there was, it was a crazy company that had like five or six full-time people and then had a phone room where people would actually make phone calls interviewing people. And this was before smoking regulations. So this would be like a, a, a room that is probably 20 by 20, so not very big. 60 people smoking cigarettes, uh, uh, interviewing people all night long. And then they would input the data overnight and I'd have data in the morning. And I would do that job from the day after my last final. And I worked up until the night before classes start and drove back to UMass just in time for classes to start. And one year I got a speeding ticket in Connecticut for going 97 because I was gonna be late to my class. Um, but I was, I, but I was on that track. So freshman year, sophomore year, junior year, that firm wanted me to drop out of school and just work for the firm. And I said, it sounds like a good idea now, but it won't be a good idea in the long run. So I stuck with the job. I graduated in three and a half years, took a quick trip to Europe with my then girlfriend. Cause I thought I had to get that out of my system and, and went to work and never looked back. Was there anything that you learned on that trip to Europe? Yeah, that she wasn't going to be my girlfriend anymore. We broke up. And it was, I mean, it was a good breakup, but we went on a, yeah, on a two month trip and yeah, broke up when we got back. <laughs> oh man, that's funny. Okay. So um, uh, real quick, just kind of a, as an aside here, is travel still kind of part of what you like to do? Is that, is that kind of oh, one yeah. of the things that you enjoy? Yeah, travel. Travel. Here's another prediction. Travel will not be back to normal when this airs. Travel no. is one of my great passions in life. I've been to 83 countries Amazing. around the world doing research. And I grew up in Chicago. And in Chicago, the only place you go to is Mexico and Canada. So I didn't even know there were other countries <laughs> yeah, out there. Right. But yes, travel is a huge part. I married, my wife is from Argentina, who I absolutely adore. And we've seen most of the world together. 
Yeah, that's amazing. What are one, like, you know, top one or two lessons that people may not even think about when it comes, because everybody associates travel with just fun and leisure, right? But I'm, I'm similar in the fact that I'm, I'm, I'm 27. I've been to over 30 countries now. And so my wife and I like to get out. We like to travel. We like to see the world. And it's done so much for my personal development and self-development, just getting out and, and seeing other perspectives and cultures. Uh, what would you say, like, top one or two things that uh, travel has done for you that people may not be thinking about? Travel gave me wonderful perspective to have an open mind of different ways that problems can be solved. So when I, I, when I first went to Asia, that just opened my mind to a, a, a society and norms that were so different from mine, and yet I had to be accepting. Like um, in Thailand, they don't have the word no in their vocabulary, which doesn't mean they don't disagree with you sometimes, but they don't say it. And so you have to really be very culturally sensitive to what are the visual cues, what are the cues with their faces, and, and adapt to the culture. So that was one thing. Uh, the second thing I learned is to not judge people. And it was, it was very hard to um, think that our way was the best way. And to be open-minded of cultures in South America, certainly with um, my wife's culture, but also in cultures that you wouldn't even think you would be judging, but in Australian culture, which has a lot of different norms than we have. And it, it, it forced me to appreciate and to be sensitive to, to, to people from other countries and their priorities, their uh, government, and, uh, and their views on the world. Okay, so this one has been a long time coming, and I'm excited to announce the launch of my new company, World Class Media. I've been doing podcast coaching and consulting for individuals and businesses for the last couple of years, and over the last few months, I just haven't been able to keep up with the requests, so in order to serve more people, I've decided to stop taking on coaching clients and start an agency that creates a done-for-you podcasting solution, as well as monthly production and repurposing services. So if you are a business owner, coach, consultant, entrepreneur, real estate investor, whatever it may be, then a podcast should be be the most powerful business development tool in your arsenal. Imagine having something that is constantly engaging your ideal client, even when you're sleeping, or that allows you to connect with the top people in your industry to build your network and establish credibility, or that allows you to help listeners that are currently outside of your sphere of influence, or that helps you get book deals or speak on more stages or create content once that we can repurpose and distribute across all the platforms for you. That is the power of a world-class podcast that's done the right way. So if you're interested in starting a show, but you just don't have the time, the resources, or desire to figure out all the tech stuff, the hosting, the equipment, the platforms, the production, then you just focus on what you do best, which is serving your clients and running your business. And then let my team focus on what we do best, which is creating world-class chart-topping podcasts. Let's at least hop on a call and chat about it because I'm fairly picky with the people that I work with. And I only work with people who I genuinely think are going to be able to absolutely crush it with a new show. So head over to travischapel.com slash make my podcast. That's travischapel.com slash make my podcast. And we'll chat real soon. Um, I always, I always like to ask about travel whenever I talk with somebody who also enjoys travel because uh, it's one of my great passions in life as the, well. So the crazy, but I'll tell you the craziest lesson that I learned. Two crazy lessons. One, um, I went to Nairobi early on in my career, like in the early '90s, and I decided to take a safari. I didn't go with a like a, a real guide. I went with sort of a faux guide who promptly got our jeep stuck in the biggest thing of um, flamingo shit ever, and to be like. <laughs> 
to be deep in flamingo shit is really uh, a unique experience. And then the second experience <laughs> I had is um, I was in Pakistan. Like I was working, but I was in Pakistan and it started to rain. And I never thought that a flash flood was real. But you know, like if, if you go to a place that it doesn't rain and it rains, like within an hour, the, the water came up six feet and my car literally started to float. And I got picked up by a United Nations uh, convoy wow. and literally rescued. And, I, and that was a scary moment that I was very cavalier and very stupid. Yeah, well, I mean, you definitely wouldn't expect a six foot deluge to come your way after an hour of rain. <laughs> it was, and they were like dancing in the streets because they're so happy in, in, in Karachi when it rains because yeah. it's so dry. And yet I couldn't get to the airport and I saw my flight just take off as I was like, <laughs> I was in the wheel, I was literally in the wheel well of the United Nations truck, like in my sport jacket, like my consultant sport jacket, trying to get to the airport. <laughs> yeah, oh, I love that, yeah. man. That, uh, those are the stories that I live for, though. Those are the times that you always look back on, and and like I, I just I, I love I love the the travel story. Whenever inevitably, whenever I travel, something goes wrong. You you can't you can plan in, so um, much, but yeah, I was supposed to be in Dubai on nine eleven. Like literally, I had a business meeting in Dubai on nine eleven two thousand one. Wow, wow, obviously didn't and, happen. It did. It. I. Who knows why it didn't happen? They must have moved it or something. So I did a video conference with them on nine thirteen, and uh, all of a sudden the FBI comes in and it's like, "Why are you having this video conference?" And I'm like, "Well, I'm presenting my research data to my clients in Dubai." So all of a sudden I was like on the suspect list. <laughs> That's crazy. That's awesome, though. Uh, okay. So, okay. So getting back a little bit into the story here, uh, you you go on this trip and then you start yes. back at this firm. So walk me through like the next big career moves for you from where you started to now where you've ended up today. Um, the next career move is I had the most incredible mentor, uh, a guy named Mark Penn, who is still out there and still well known as a top political strategist. And he took me under his wing and took me every, to, every, to every meeting, to every place he wanted to go. Mark was a, a great mentor because he didn't see age at all. And if you were capable and, and, and you were willing, he would train you. And so he, the only downside is Mark had an obsession with Chinese food. So I gained like 20 pounds hanging out with him. But, <laughs> but, we, but, but he took me everywhere. But like all things, there was a, a point where it was time to leave Mark. And so a request for a proposal came in from a client that was based in the Far East in Australia. And so he said, can you write a proposal for this client? And so I wrote the proposal. And then I wrote in the proposal that the person from our firm who manages the project will live on site in Sydney during the project. And I submitted the project, the proposal. We won the proposal. And I basically wrote myself into living in Sydney for the next six months. <laughs> So I was able, so I was able to leave, and that was the that was the best way to build the company and force a little separation between me and my mentor, who was amazing. But it was time to go. Sure, sure. Uh, real quick before we move on from this point, why do you think why do you think the 
your relationship with him was different than what everybody else had with him? Like, why do you think he took a liking to you? Because this is a question that I get a lot. And I think that mentorship is so important to success in any arena. And so people ask me the question, like, well, how do I find a a mentor? How do I attract a mentor? And uh, so I'm curious to hear why you think it was that he chose to spend time with you. Um, Because I was like, I was like the Thai culture. I didn't have the word no in my vocabulary. Whatever he asked me, I would do. Uh, whether it was super important or not important at all, I was willing to do it because I was learning so much. And so I made it easy for him to teach me. And I was like a sponge absorbing every mannerism, every uh, his speech cadence, his thought pattern, his creativity. I just would not say no. I wanted to be around him 24 seven, no matter what he was doing. Yeah, I love that. Uh, very, very, very similar in my world as well. And so thank you for taking a second to answer that uh, just out of my curiosity. So uh, you land yourself in Australia, build a little bit of separation between your mentor and you. What's the next step? So we, I, I basically hang out now. Six months turns into a year, which puts a strain on a young marriage because I'd gotten married the year before. I do the project and I come back and the firm is doing very well and we have a new client because it was a, the, the firm was doing political and corporate consulting. And the, the, there's a client who uh, says that he's working for Bill Clinton in the White House, but there's no evidence that he's working for Bill Clinton in the White House. Name, his name was Dick Morris. And he was working covertly in the Clinton White House in 95. They had just gotten routed in the midterm elections and Clinton was looking for new consultants. So he brought in Dick Morris and my partner, my other partner, Doug Schoen. And we were just on the precipice of going from the most important company that you'd never heard of to an important company that everybody had heard of as we started working for Bill Clinton in 1996. And that changed everything in my world because we were no longer a small firm. We were now a big firm. We were on a national stage and my role was no longer politics, but I was taking the lessons from the campaign trail and applying them to business and working for corporate clients. Mm, And so while my two partners were down electing the president, I was back home working on building our corporate clients. Got it. Got it. So this is really your first stint into entrepreneurship from a standpoint of running your own shop, right? Well, I was, it was still their company, but I was, my my mentor, uh, Mark, had moved down to Washington. I had my other partner, Doug, who was also very focused on the political business. And I was now 28 years old, responsible for running an operation. Wow. Wow. That's incredible. What an amazing opportunity. So, so, so during that period of time, what were you thinking in terms of what you wanted your life to look like in 10 years from then? Like, were you, were you just thinking like, man, this is awesome. We're going to, we're going to run this thing and this is going to be my, you know, my big accomplishment. Or was there always like a, you know, this is, this is a phase and I, I want something of my own. I want to do something by myself. Was that always the end goal for you? Even at that time when things were going really no, well? The, at, at that point, I was feeling like, oh, I made some smart decisions along the way. Um, and, 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 and all those Chinese meals were probably worth it. It was, it was my normal. And it wasn't for everybody. But for me, there was no other track. I had been doing it since I was 18 years old. Now I was 28. I had a wife. I had 
Uh, our second child, our daughter was born in 1996 and it just felt really normal. And then um, when we went to Bill Clinton's inauguration in January of 1996, I'd already been made partner on paper, but not partner by name. And Clinton puts his uh, arm on my shoulder and looks at my partner, Penn, and said, if Mike were your partner, the firm would be called Penn, Schoen, and Berlan. And I said, I agree with you, Mr. President. And Mark said, I agree with you too. And so the next Monday, we changed the name of the firm to Penn, Schoen, and Berlan. And that is what changed my life because I never knew, I knew the companies were named after real people, but I never knew what it would feel like. Hmm. So when the company was called Penn, Schoen, and Berlan, and I heard other people saying it, and I realized I was Berlan, that was a reset. Like that was something I was not used to at all and took me quite a while to adjust to. Yeah, how, how did that affect your mentality going forward with future endeavors? I became a little, I mean, I became more important to our clients and maybe a little more respected by new staff, not current staff, hmm. but it, it, it felt, I don't know, it felt, I, I became a little more shy, a little bit, less likely to say it and it took me a number of years to grow into it i mean i'm being very honest with you i i loved it and i also was intimidated yeah sure okay so now at what point along the way do you start realizing that you want to branch off and do something on your own and and where does decode m come into this whole timeline here um we sold our company to wpp in 2001 Okay. And um, we earned out in 2006. When okay. I got to 2006, and now, just by the great work of my partners, I've gotten a chunk of money really early in my career. Like to sell a company by the time I was 34 years old and have all that money in the bank gave me tremendous freedom that I never thought I'd have. I always thought if I had $100,000 in the bank, I'd be set for life. I didn't need another dollar. I wouldn't watch how much money I take out of the ATM. And so by 2006, I've gotten several multiples of that. And it made me appreciate that I had options. Hmm. And that's when I started to experiment with my life. And I didn't want to work at the same company my whole life and I could try new things. So was it always going to be like, I'm going to start my own thing now? Or did you take some time and go travel a bit or like, you know, chill at all? Or were you very much like stir crazy? Let's get back into the next thing and, and do something here. No, looking back, that's actually when I made some of my bad moves. Uh, after 2006, I tried a number of different things because I, I thought I had the freedom to do it. So I joined, I did Hillary's campaign, which was 2007. 2008. I then uh, joined the National Hockey League as the head of communications for a season, uh -huh. which was an amazing experience to be so close to a game that I felt so passionately about, but I missed the action. Mm -hmm. And so I went back to PSB for a couple of years and realized that you really can't go home. And I approached my friend, Richard Edelman, and I said, look, I have this great idea to create a company called Burland. And I'd worked for Mike Bloomberg and he called his company Bloomberg. So I called my company Burland and I offered him a 20% stake. And he said, we don't take minority stakes. We buy the whole company. And so for the next five years, I ended up working at a company called Edelman Burland within this large organization. And that is when I learned the ropes. 
That was that was like going to get my MBA and, and going to graduate school all at the same time. Wow. What do you think the difference was between doing that and being part of the firm before? PSB was just organically grew up with, with no structure and it was still very much run by the personality of the three partners. And, and at, at our maximum size, we were 200 people. Edelman was 6,000 people, you know, 67 offices. And that's where I learned um, the diversity of people, of clients, of how things operate. At PSB, I never had to learn how to run a PL. At Edelman, I was hopeless at running a PL. And, and that was the probably, I mean, PSB was the most formative thing in my business, in, in my professional development. But Edelman Berland taught me how to run a business. Got it. So now you are founder and CEO of Decode M. Tell us about what it is that you guys do at your firm and uh, how, how we could potentially be able to jump in and support some of the things you have going on. I founded Decode M because I realized that the current tools that people were using to analyze consumer attitudes, consumer behaviors, to understand social media were all antiquated and didn't work. And I, I founded Decodem because I understood the value of good data and good insights. And I knew that you were going to have to combine several disciplines to make it happen. So uh, data science was just emerging, but it was important. Data engineering was important. Social media analytics was important. Strategists. And no firm had ever put it together. The pollsters always say the pollsters and the analytics, analytics people always did the analytics people and they never crossed. And I couldn't understand why they never crossed, but I was determined at Decode M to make it happen. And what's interesting about that story is that the people that I hired to do it didn't quite believe me. They, they shared the vision, but they didn't think it was possible because I had this idea that everything is knowable. You just need to know where to look. And people would push back and say, Mike, everything's not knowable. And I said, bullshit. It all is. You just, some things you're going to answer with a survey, something you're going to do data mining, other things will be CRMs, but every piece of data is knowable. And my client at the time was Facebook. They have 2.3 billion people who are friends on Facebook. They must have a lot of data on them. Everything is knowable. And that it took me two years at my own company with the own people I hired to convince that this vision was actually possible. Wow. Wow, that's crazy. So what do you think it was that finally convinced them? They saw it work in real life. They, they, they saw the power of data and they knew that more data was available and that questions that really weren't easily answered or well answered through a survey could, could be really understood through unsupervised data learning, uh, artificial intelligence, topic modeling, that it was all possible, that you didn't have to do these cumbersome, expensive surveys to ask a limited number of people, that you could actually use these, the most advanced tools that had now become available to start to understand and model data better. And it, it sounds very geeky, but it's no different than 17-year-old Mike. It's, it's just mm -hmm. using the tools that are available. Yeah, sure. Man, this has been such an amazing conversation, Mike, and I appreciate you for coming on. I got I to gotta ask a little bit about the relationship side since this is Build Your Network before we go. Um, throughout this whole story, what I like to do is, is have people tell their story and then kind of pick apart some things that, that I noticed throughout. And I, I noticed that 
relationships and connections to key people in your life have been instrumental in you being able to see the amount of success that you've seen in your career. Would you agree with that? And if so, tell me a little bit about how those relationships have affected you. Relationships have been absolutely essential. There's been three levels of relationships though. There's been relationships with my clients who accepted me as their kingmaker and, and had, the, had trust and confidence that I could help them achieve their goals. And they stuck with me. And I've had some relationships that go back all 25 years with me. And that's one of the most amazing relationships. Then there's, there's relationships with staff. My partner now, Lauren, has, we've had a relationship for more than 10 years. And she's only, um, I won't say how old she is, but she started work 10 years ago. So that's from day one, we've, we, we, we've had a relationship. And then there's been the support of my, my friends. And I was in a group called YPO, Young Presidents yeah. Organization, which at the time I thought was a very fancy name. And I couldn't understand how they could add value into my life. But I had one of those clients insist that I join. And at 30 years old, I joined YPO. And it profoundly changed my life because suddenly I had a, a network of peers that were in the same situation that I was. They were young, they were running businesses, and, no, and, and they weren't trying to sell me, and I wasn't trying to sell them. We were just able to talk about life. And those three types of relationships fueled my success 100%. Yeah. Love it, man. I, well, I, I got to ask you this question before we take off because it's the one that I ask every single guest that's ever come on the show. I want to know who you know or what you know, Mike, which of those two is more important? And yes, you have to pick one. It's 100% who you know. Awesome. Why is that? <laughs> lots of people know lots of shit, but it's, it's who you know to make a difference in, in the world. Absolutely. Fantastic way to sign off here. Mike, thanks so much for coming on the show. Before we go, let everybody know what's one place that they can connect with you the best. What's one place that they could head to to learn more about Mike? Uh, LinkedIn is the best way to get to know me. Mike Perfect. Berlant on LinkedIn. We've got the book Maximum Momentum, which is coming out um, on Amazon. Oh, it'll be out by the time this comes out. And you can always, um, you can always find me on TikTok, Travis, on Momentum oh, Mike. Sweet. You got your TikTok page going? I sure do. I sure do. Yes. So that's, that's, you know, the TikTok is when you find the true personality of people. That's very true. That's very true. Okay. So Maximum Momentum is the book. Um, yeah. If you are listening to this right now, what I tell all my listeners all the time, Mike, and you're probably, I'm sure you'll appreciate this. Whenever we give a book recommendation on the show, I tell people, go pick it up right now because you never know at what point you're actually going to pick it up and read it. And hopefully it's going to be soon. But if you have a, I just, I hate when people have like a list of like six books and they're like, oh, I, my, my book, my reading list is too big right now. I can't buy any more books. And it's like, no, wrong. <laughs> buy the book now, get it on your shelf so you don't forget about it. Um, and, uh, and, and start reading through that. And I'm, I'm sure that you will have a lot of great insights and takeaways from that book. Um, and then if you want to connect with Mike a little bit more personally, head over to LinkedIn. It's Mike Berland, B-E-R-L-A-N-D. Um, make sure you connect with Mike over there and, uh, and hit him up on TikTok as well. Uh, so Mike, it's thanks TikTok, so much for, yeah. for coming on the show today. Seriously, I had a fantastic time chatting with you. I learned a lot. Enjoy it, man. Well, that's it for today's show. If you want more advanced networking strategies as well as an instant network upgrade, then consider partnering with my BYN Inner Circle Mastermind. There are already dozens of high-quality entrepreneurs in the group. There's dozens of video lessons on networking. There's monthly calls. There's accountability crews and more 
all for the low investment of just 99 bucks a month. So head over to byninnercircle.com to jump in. That's byninnercircle.com. Thanks so much for joining us on today's show. We'll see you next time. Remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.